I'm one of them. People love patches. People will pay $6 for a little patch yeah, or whatever. And they're cool looking. I like them. Well, I think like, and now you're going to call Camel Joe, but I think Camel Joe deserves a patch. <laughs> Joe son. That's yeah. Good. You know, he needs like a little logo and then. <laughs> yeah, I'll make one for everyone. Collect them all. <laughs> Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Stephen Surratt joins me. This year, Stephen had a successful Kickstarter, Merchants of the Multiverse. It is a mutant crawl classic zine focusing on, well, Merchants of the Multiverse. Not only discuss Stephen's tongue-in-cheek look at the destruction of the world, but we also talk about the work it takes to produce a zine and running a project through Kickstarter. It's time to take your iodine pills, strap on your sidearm. Sisters and brothers, it's time to get rambling. Hello, Stefan. Hey. Uh, Thanks for joining me this morning. Yeah. So you contacted me. You have this this uh, RPG product called Merchants of the Multiverse. Yeah, I made this thing as a part of Zine Quest this year in uh, 2021 for all the future, I don't know, after year listeners. Uh, yeah, may, uh, had uh, some fun making it. It's a little like post-apocalyptic kind of setting resource. Uh, mostly for mutant crawl classics, but there's not too much in there. You couldn't easily convert over to uh, anything else that uses a D20 as its main die. Well, yeah, reading through this, uh, I didn't give it the full, full, full read, but I scanned through this multiple times. And um, I guess the question is, uh, because you went with mutant crawl classics. Mm -hmm. So what drew you to mutant crawl classics? Um, I really, uh, I started out paying attention to dungeon crawl classics. I really like that system and, uh, in crawl class, the same thing, just, uh, reflavored and reorganized for the, the post-apocalypse. Um, and it's, it's not a dreary, depressing post-apocalypse, which I've played a few games of that and, uh, the world feels enough like that sometimes. Uh, Yes. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Mean Crawl Classics is a lot more just silly. It's the kitchen sink. You throw everything in. It's thousands of years past whatever happened, happened, and not even that's defined. It's just a great disaster unless you want to define it for your game. And uh, so you have people who don't understand the weird technology that exists out there. But they're figuring it out, and they might accidentally blow themselves up with it because they don't quite understand what this little weird orb is that turns out to be a quantum grenade. Yes. <laughs> they thought it was oh. an egg timer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you've got, uh, you've got animals, which are about what you'd guess. You've got mutants and plantians and, you know, just uh, all sorts of wacky stuff like the... Uh, I, I, you know, it's you get it the same kind of feeling of watching He-Man or maybe Thundar the Barbarian of just like this is a weird kind of future where you can basically do anything. 
I accept be too serious. Yeah, and it, and it definitely, I mean, you, you sell it exactly that way. I mean, it's it's the, the cover is a bunch of these, uh, I guess, NPCs that would be explored in the book uh, sitting around mm-hmm. the card table playing cards. Yep, those are all the, the merchants. We have uh, the main one, which we found kind of on Sonic, is, is legally distinct Joe Camel. He's, he just happens yes. to have a nicotine problem. <laughs> Well, I think what I absolutely love about uh, about uh, the legally distinct Joe Camel was that uh, he rides a a beast of burden, uh, a, a robotic beast of burden, or is it an insect uh, beast of burden? I should say. Yeah, it's a, basically a, a giant flea. <laughs> yeah, the idea that a camel riding a beast of burden is, I think, like it's very funny. Yeah, he was the the first merchant I came up with, and. Uh, had a lot of fun. I, I used him to like play test the uh, the trade system for uh, for buying and selling artifacts uh, in my home group, and I had a lot of fun just being super silly and role playing him. Yeah, and I think that's definitely the the vibe of this whole thing. It's 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 definitely has that full on, uh, you know, there's joy, and I think the, the idea is you can you know have bad things happen, but everybody comes to the that's that's just part of the experience right i mean i guess i guess when you sign up for mutant crawl classics you're you're signing up for the opportunity for just uh you know whatever may come good or bad oh yeah yeah you could uh be with you know uh josan there that's his actual name but um he's kind of middle of the road uh the one next to him on the cover uh uh it is basically we we made patty dalton into a mutated you know interdimensional singer who you know sells the extra like gear she has for her show so you know we got like merchants on the sweeter side and then we have like a one of them is basically a like you know militant weapon dealer you know fish who hates land people but will you know sell weapons (laughs) so yeah and i think i mean even going back now you you mentioning this i i wasn't getting the jokes so I think Joe San would be, is that a kind of a combination of the San that's usually the Mr. in Japanese and it's, it's Camel Joe San. Uh, uh, originally, it, no, it's originally, it was a uh, San because I, you know, just kind of pulling from that region of the world, you, you know, camels okay. over in the Middle East and he's got a Fez hat. He's he got complimentary Fez hats. So. Yeah. I think that's the other thing I've, I've noticed is that, uh, you, the descriptions of the NPCs, the merchants, really is pretty pretty short. But yeah. I think what you did uh, was you uh, just packed a number of of sentences in that paragraph that all add just exactly what you need to to run that character, including the fun stuff. So it's not just the you know it, it is is the atmosphere, it is the personality. And, uh, it, and I think because you, there's not, um, you know, like stats and such, it's like, you can pull that character out and you can run that character, you know, with any system without a problem. Yeah. That was kind of what it was intended. And I tried to give each of them some kind of way where they could instantly get out of the situation that they're in. Cause I, I honestly didn't want to make stats. I just wanted these to be fun NPCs that you were probably not going to rob, <laughs> but 
someone inevitably will. Um, so yeah, uh, like Paddy Dolva, the the not, you know, Paddy Darton. Um, uh, <laughs> she uh, she can just sing a note and jump to another universe or time in this universe. So you know, if you want to rob her, she can get out. Another one of them is a time traveler, nor the, you know, weapon dealer fish guy. He just appears to, uh, as a hologram unless you're actually under the ocean. So, right. They all have some kind of out. Yeah. And also, the, you know, the fun stuff, even with Joe, it's like he even gives away, uh, even give away his Fez hats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It tries to be endearing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, who, who would, who would want to like, you know, do bad to Joe son. He's, you yeah. know, he's, he's such a great, he's such a great guy. So, like, you know, what you know, I know a lot of times when I come up with stuff, it's just me sitting and just stuff coming out of my head from I don't know where. Um, so where did the concepts come from? I mean, do they I, I assume they each one of these like uh developed over time, or was it something that you, um, you just brainstormed one day or what? Some of them were kind of more gradual and some came on more quick. Um, I had been basically doing this kind of thing for my home group because in, in Mutant Crawl Classics, uh there's the core rule book, there's the adventures, but there isn't that much to kind of help tie things in between the adventures, I feel right. like. And that's kind of what this was also supposed to, to try to help out with. Because everyone, basically everyone has like, you know, the village of Hamlet or, you know, a dozen fantasy villages that they can pull from and throw in their, you know, any kind of whatever kind of fantasy role-playing game system you're in even if it's not for that specific system, people are familiar enough with it, or there's just enough that are created and out there, but they're, but we don't have that quite for, you know, whatever brand of post-apocalypse you want to do. And those are a little bit more rare. So I felt like I, I personally was struggling in running my mutant crawl classics game and was trying to come up with stuff that I was just homebrewing and uh, stuff that would help me out connect things in between adventures and players ended up, you know, having, oh, we found two of these artifacts and we actually only need one. But the the core rule book for MCC says artifacts are, are too rare to ever trade. No one would ever do that. You know, it, it, you, you would you know, hold them. And I was like, well, if I have two of one and you've got something else. <laughs> I want your something else. Right. And I'll we're trade. economic right. animals. Yeah. We're going to. So I was like, that doesn't really make sense. So I. That's that's where this started coming from. Yeah, and I, I assume what they're trying to do is create a barrier from it becoming like the Haiti of 3.5, I guess, where magic items were the economy, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely think that was where, and I get that feeling. I I started out on, on 3.5 uh, and grew grew tired with it eventually. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's I've I my experience is pretty limited and it really wasn't great. Um, but um, but everybody has their own fun. I'm not gonna oh, yeah. make anybody's yum, but yeah, that definitely no, wasn't I, for me. I had tons of fun with it. It was it was after I ran my first like long campaign in it where I was like, oh man, all these XP calculations, oh balancing these encounters. Oh man, my players there, all their characters are these crazy wild super specific things alex's character revolves around just tripping people and, <laughs> and just 
make, and then they're easier to hit. And yeah. uh, that's funny. Yeah, it's 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 uh, you know there's the you know there is the role playing game that we play, but there's those games within games, and then there's games within games within games, and uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, and that's where I think three point five definitely has rewarded that for people who enjoy micro games within games within the, the games. character creation and in, in the in the the build the yeah. planning of the build and then but yeah. your build is also well but it's based on also probably having a party and this guy's gonna have this build so that we we can you know you know i think it is genius i really do think it is genius on the part of the designers doing it the way they did it yeah but my goodness it's just uh it's too much energy yeah, but I, think I had, in, like I said, tons of fun with it for a long time, but I think it was it was running a long campaign and really seeing how the sausage got made, especially yes. at higher levels, kind of killed it for me a bit. And I think when we're younger, I think we can take on a cognitive load for this kind of stuff. Like we embrace it, you know, but there's a certain mm-hmm. point where you're like, wow, I just I really just I'm not getting that much fun spending an extra three hours or something that should only take me an hour. Yeah. You know, or whatever it may be, but so in, in it, but also looking at what you've done here. So I'm not familiar. I mean, I'm familiar, but I don't, I don't have mutant crawl classics. I don't, uh, I've never really, I think I flipped through the rules a little bit. Um, I guess the question is what you've done here, how, like, how, um, how structured is it to the typical mutant crawl classics uh, setting? Um, I would say it is more in the mood, um, and some of the rules, cause there's some items that, uh, say, you know, make a luck check, which is a DCC MCC specific thing, but you could, if I was trying to steal things and using like a BX game, I would just like, uh, okay, let's change that to like, uh, you know, a, a save versus death type role, um, whatever exists yeah. in that kind of for that in, in whatever other setting. Um, but I mean, the, the artifacts, the artifacts are very weird and they're really trying to be for that setting. Um, you, you know, there's, uh, but there's also a lot of just kind of silly references. There's, you know, a, a thing in there that's basically a remote control GoBot. Um, there's a sword where the blade is just static electricity. And if you hit a robot with it, it might, you know, cause the robot's innards to uh, to start going haywire and kind of affect it, kind of like a little EMP that they have to make a save against. Um, yeah, but you also are leaning into multiverse, right? Yeah, because uh, my I was leaning into that because... That's how my my game was a DCC game where the players had some uh, interdimensional mishaps uh, with essentially getting <laughs> planar step forced into them. So they're yeah. fantasy characters who found their way into the post-apocalypse and, you know, a couple of them died over there. So then those characters get replaced with, you know, weird characters from thousands of years in the future on some other planet. And DCC also has some great settings, um, both third and uh or first and third party like the the purple planet um which is another kind of weird it's like the post-apocalypse but it's like the john carter books mixed with a little bit of dune and then there's a ton of third party settings which uh i love because it's it's another place i can throw my players uh if 
they roll really poorly on a planar step spell cast. Oh, that's that. So really, that is kind of neat. So you could, I mean, you kind of, I guess, solve that problem. Like if you go to the D and D side, I guess, is it Greyhawk? Is it is it going to be um, yeah, Forgotten Realms? Is it going to be this or that or this or that? But you're like, it could be them all. And mm-hmm. we just have mishaps, and guess what? Now you're you're in another completely different location. So yeah. you can run all your locations that you love within the same campaign. Yep, and the same rules system. There's just like, oh, you use you're from this world, so uh, you're a mutant, and you're going to get some mutations. But there's no reason that you know the wizard can't get a mutation either. Right. Exactly. Well, because you you know when you when I saw the multiverse and then I saw the mutant crawl classics, I wasn't sure if at first you were going for some sort of like, if, if the main emphasis was on like, uh, like interdimensional, you know, uh, adventures, but it's really not necessarily that it's just that this stuff is kind of fitting for really whatever multiverse setting yeah. or whatever setting you have, because it can all fit within the same, we'll call it multiverse. And, okay. and we tried to, keep the the multiverse aspects and some of the the merchants who can travel amongst them and also some of the monsters uh there's just like four monsters in there but they're all from some other world one of them is uh i took the name just from a a single line in in big trouble in little china of uh black blood of another earth where it's like a dead world it it is a dead sentient world is coming out and trying to you know, get life essence back, and another and one. And you is, don't want to touch it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get near that thing. It's got a lot of hit points. Uh, another one is uh, the dimensional miners, who are basically like a uh, like a non-union, like a union scabs, who are going and trying to mine resources from other worlds because you know union regulations say that they can't do it on their home plane of existence. Um, and then another is Jane the Hover Train, which is uh, my kind of weird take on uh, Blaine the Train from, from the Dark Tower stories. Oh, okay. I thought it was like Thomas the Train, but darker. Uh, it's like half and half. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, hey, and it might, you know, if you willingly get on, big dummy, uh, you might end up in, in this specific DCC adventure where you are in the Plane of Suffering. Is where that takes place yeah the you know looking through this it's like this almost has uh at least as far as the characters the npcs uh NPC character but they a lot of the the things you have it almost makes me feel like it could fit into like a powered by the apocalypse game a very you know this stuff would work very well just in any sort of even loose system that one would have too it's not even it fits squarely into the Mutant Crawl Classics and D20, but boy, this is so easy just to throw these characters really in any sort of of, of uh, system you're running. Yeah, that I, and I tried to make it loose enough for that. I mean, there's nothing, there's one adventure in the back that might be a little, that's probably the most hard to just move into a different system, but um, I've used plenty of not DCC or MCC stuff in, in my own games, so... I, I really feel also like with converting stuff like that, it is just, I, I've done that. I've converted DCC to, you know, an eighth level DCC adventure to 
a 16th level D&D 5e adventure on the fly because I described the cover of an adventure to my players and they're like, that sounds cool. We want to go do that now. And I was like, oh no, I have, I was not <laughs> prepared for this. Oh <laughs> uh, no. Um, but if I've, in my experience, if you are comfortable with both the system you're converting from and converting to, you rarely need to do that much prep work. If you know the two systems, you can do that pretty much in the moment. Um, so yeah, can, for, for anyone wondering, yeah, convert away. It's, it's pretty easy. Um, one of the things that, uh, as I was kind of perusing through there, um, there's some, um, what I, I did enjoy was like, for instance, the fish merchant who sells the arms. Right. And then you have, I think like plot hooks later on. And the idea is that you could actually come across the, uh, I think if you sell them arms, you could end up later on coming across people he sold those arms to as enemies if, if i'm correct that yeah the there's um four pages of basically kind of quests related to the merchants and they're organized by like okay this is more like a community related one so that's one of them in in there where it's like oh you come across this village where you know it's devastated village was a menfish attack and uh like the weapon fire marks look like weapons you either like just sold to nor the the fish arms merchant or when you last saw him he had those weapons on sale but you didn't get them from him. so it's like oh no yeah i think for me um you know as as fun as just the 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 raps of the merchants were mm-hmm. i think that that those kinds of maybe not just hooks but those narrative things i think are actually very smart and uh, and I thought, you know, we kind of look at at least me, not we, but me, you know, you you do a thing, you know, you're playing traveler, you know, I think this is bot like traveler. You go and you do a thing, you, yeah. then you go to another place, do a thing, or D and D, you go to city, but there is really very rarely any sort of um, tie into what you did previously to the future. Yeah, and unless you are sticking around in the you know in the city of Greyhawk or whatever. You're, you don't see the the repercussions, the consequences, good and bad. But the idea that you know you are now fighting a group of people. Let's say, let's say you go fight a group of people. Like this should be easy. They're you know these cavemen, but then you find out that they uh, are now armed with the guns that you did sell to these other people previously. Uh, you know to the to the to the. Uh, north nor the fish mm-hmm. then you just realize that yeah you made money by selling arms but now your life is more complicated in the future even if as a gm it didn't really matter there these these cave we're going to yeah. always have those arms but i think at least narratively it ties things together in a fun way yeah and uh, not all the the quests are are like that but the the quests also were an attempt to um each of the merchants basically has one paragraph to describe them in, in a picture. And all these quests are kind of like additional, you know, there's a little tidbit of extra info in there that you can use or you can just ignore to try to flesh out that merchant a little further and kind of relationship the PCs have to that merchant and, and that each of them have to the world around them. But I think it really, in, in a, but another sense of, of as a GM being for myself, I just thought, 
you know, when I run stuff, I should be more intentional this way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily require a lot more work, but it does, it does add, I think, a lot to the setting just by throwing in these, like maybe you save somebody uh, and or maybe a group of people and then maybe later on down the, the, the line, maybe the characters wind up in a tough spot. You could throw in, you know, the, the day machina, the God coming down, mm-hmm. be a survivor of that. So, you know what, and you could, and it wouldn't just look like there's a GM, you're just kind of, you know, getting them, them out of a situation that, that there's no, I mean, you're just being heavy handed, but you could say, no, these, this person was, even if you never intended it to begin with, you can say, these people did a thing. I want to see how I can use it in the future. And even if it shows up, you know, you, you can do that. Or it could be some things are boring. You don't know what to do. Just, you know, maybe guys seeking revenge for what the characters did three sessions ago. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't have to be thought out, but I think the idea of what you did here is just putting these narrative things in is, is very smart. And I think if, as a GM, it's like, it, it made me think I just need to be more intentional because it was just done in very fun ways. And even if, like I say, even if it isn't, you know, it, it kind of affects how one thinks about their, the characters. Because now when they see those arms, you know, that they, that they sold to Nora the fish, next time they go sell stuff, they're maybe going to think a little bit about it before they sell it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Hopefully, at <laughs> least. Yeah, and there's another character in there who is uh, one of the merchants. He claims to be from you know, a curator from the Ultima Museum in the 69th century. Um, but he's some, he's just a, he's a drug addict from way in the past. Um, a time traveler met him and he killed the time traveler with a rock and took his time travel gear. And now he just goes around <laughs> conning people be like, oh no, you, I need it for the museum in the future. Yeah, well, you'll get a plaque. You'll be, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you donated it. And he's just going to another point in time and selling it, you know, for drug money. And he's yes. got the temporal cops on him. Um, and yeah, so that's another fun one where you can really use him to see the consequences of the actions. He had no clue it was going to turn out like that. Um, I, I love doing that kind of thing in my games. I want, and when my players, when they first got their fantasy characters over to, you know, the post apocalypse by accident, uh, I had them go through one adventure where it ends up with them briefly going to a like still functioning city in the post-apocalypse where everyone looks like a normal human being there's no mutants super protected and they you know they're on some quest they're there for a very brief amount of time to do a thing and then they are like we're being overwhelmed we're running away we're, we're gonna basically go back the way they came but several sessions later i had a survivor from that city come and try to kill them because it and once they got like a translator working, it was, we didn't, we weren't taking anyone for a reason. You have germs that we've never dealt with before. There was a huge outbreak in our city. And now like, there's only 10% of us alive. You ruined our city by merely coming. (laughs) And all my players were just like, oh, oh no. (laughs) We, we did, how would we have anticipated that? Yeah, it is. That is fun. Yeah. And also looking through the devices, I mean, uh, through the artifacts, I should say, yeah, I think one that kind of also stood out my initial reviewing was, I think, uh, was the fob. 
yeah if I, if, yeah if i recall correctly a character can just see a vehicle attempt to use the fob and it may cause that vehicle to start yeah yeah it's just a, a key fob and uh go around and it might work for a hover car <laughs> or a tank or a motorcycle yeah and that's why i i, I love it i was like you know that is just that is fun you know it's just fun because you could you know and and it and allows the character to do something in a very unique way in a way that you can't anticipate no it yeah it, it the Whoever's running, it's going to be just a surprise because it's just a it's a luck check to see if it aligns with you know, whatever weird vehicle that you've just described. And I think that you know the you know the old school mentality would be that fob goes to a particular vehicle in whatever adventure you're in, and you know it only really matter if the characters got the fob before they found the vehicle, and only if they tried the fob. But here it's like you take all that out you're like you know what here's a fob good luck you make it something to work yeah well and you know it's uh if if it's for one particular thing i mean you could also change you could be like oh yes over this direction here go on this quest it works for this but you know i could only take this it was dangerous and i couldn't the car needs some repairs so you could change it to that if you wanted but yeah the, the way i i wanted it um i just was like hey you know, anywhere, anytime. It should probably still need some repairs, but uh, right. I'm not giving you a, a free hover tank to yeah. you know, decimate the countryside, but maybe you get a tank to work. Maybe it spews out, you know, all sorts of gases and smoke, and barely runs. But you at least have a running, you know, tank. But yeah, don't try and go into battle with it. But uh, yeah, it, it just I thought was such a a like I say a good it was such a good reward. You know, it, it, it quit, it quit being a, a puzzle to turning into, wow. You know, and then also the, the players are going to think, do I really want to waste my one fob on this too? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they can go, Oh no, this piece of crap. I'm going <laughs> to hope for the, the next one. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's fun. There's a lot of just very, very, very fun elements. How long did it take you to put all this, uh, to collect all of this and um, to, you know, to this work. I had the, the all the artifacts, um, at least one iteration of them, and just Joson. And then basically, Zine Quest was coming around, and I'd worked with some people on a thing called Quarantine. Um, we had just finished Quarantine Two, uh, which is a DCC thing. Um, it's on Drive Through RPG. Pay what you want, and it's basically just some content where. Uh, the first one's random. The second one's four little level zero adventures. Um, but any any of the proceeds we get from that, they uh, go to a, a COVID-19 relief charity. Um, and we had just finished that. And I was kind of thinking about Zine Quest. It's like, that'd be pretty cool. I'd like to do that. I'd like to get my, seems like a good way to get my, my you know, dip my toes in the water. And um, Sean Richer had worked with us for, he did, Terror of the Stratosphere, you've had him on yeah. before too. And he basically just went on the, the little Discord, like, hey, is anyone else doing something? Just went, I'm thinking about doing something, but I don't know. And then one of the other guys who is an artist, because I'm certainly not, was like, I've been thinking about so I'll be your artist. And we just said 50, you know, we'll split anything we make, you know, 50% down the line. And 
we got to it. And that was probably about two weeks before ZineQuest started. <laughs> so he made a lot of art really quick. Um, and I started making a lot of the everything else, basically the quests and all that kind of stuff. I uh, very dedicated for over the month of February. because not all of it had been created by the time we launched the, the Kickstarter. But yeah, it had at a- least been kind of bullet point outlined at that yeah, point. Yeah, that's a lot of stress coming up with uh, stuff with a <laughs> success. And you guys did very well with your Kickstarter, too. Yeah, it did well. Better than I would have thought, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it was the first one. So, you know, you always kind of go, well, probably make it a little over our mark and break even. But we made a little bit of money. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I think a couple things were in your favor. Uh, I think one is, uh, I think the art definitely helped sell it. Always and, does with Kickstarters. <laughs> if, if someone out there is like, I need to do a Kickstarter, get a lot of art first. It helps a lot. Yeah, it, it does. It does. And I think, you know, and you also, I, it appears that the uh, Mutant Crawl uh, stuff seems to be a, a fairly um, popular system. So mm-hmm. I think you kind of, you got the peanut butter and jelly together and made a good sandwich uh, and everybody was buying them. So. Yeah, that's what I, and I think it's honestly a little, there's a bunch of DCC stuff, uh, zines and third-party stuff, but there's not as many for, for Mutant Crawl Classics. So I was like, kind of yeah, a, a little underserved. Uh, yeah, I think more, you're right. I think. I think you're right. Now you say that, and probably in my mind, I just kind of confuse the two, um, <laughs> even though they are, they are definitely distinct, but just seem like it also, you know, you're hitting hard on the weird. And, uh, and I, it seems like, not just being weird for weird sake, but I think it seems like the zine quest stuff uh, that also does well are, are people that go outside the the norm, you know. Yeah. If you just wanted the normal stuff, you just would go to buy the D and D stuff, right? The modules or or whatever it may be. People are looking, I think, for the zine quest for the, you know, for the for the big ideas that that individuals come up with that are not that may They're not be a little commercially viable. Weirder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I know I backed a lot of stuff. <laughs> I was kind of thinking during the Kickstarter, it's like, well, if we do well, I'll have enough money to pay for all the Zine Quest stuff that I'm also backing. Yeah, that was uh, that was a thing. Uh, I I yeah, I went in with a certain thought. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I I kind of mix things up and bought different things. Some physical copies, some not. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next year uh, as far as my strategy. Um, I'm not sure. No. I think we just go into a feeding frenzy and it's just, we lose our minds. So it's. Uh... Yeah. It's like, ooh, this mothership <laughs> thing looks really cool. Ooh, their layout's so great. Well, you know, and some of the stuff I bought, you know, just um, not just for, but largely too for inspiration. So. Yeah. You know, I thought. The- I, I try to only buy stuff that I may not run it, but I'll at least read through it and steal a few things from it for my own game. That's kind of my rule of, am I going to buy this in, in general, not just Kickstarter? Yeah, it's, uh, and I, yes, it's, there's, there's, uh, and I look for some things that would be material that would generate ideas like, uh, like rather than just adventures, but maybe, you know, people had, different things where you can randomly generate you know, like 
ancient structures or whatever it may be. So those are also things I kind of looked at to say, well, I want to make stuff in the future. What sort of tools could I have that may help with that? And also some just for the inspiration of layout too. Uh, this has been another one. Yeah. So the question I got to ask after looking through this, did you lay this out in, in Word? Uh, originally, yes, I did. Uh, this was also a, a learning project for me. Uh, halfway through, I, I got Affinity and I started using that. Yeah, originally it was just done in Word. Yeah, is it? And I, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but it looks like it was it was laid out in Microsoft Word. And but when I look at it, and I'm like, it. But it's fine. I mean, yeah. I, I, there's it's, you know, sure. There's always people. Oh, I mean, you should done this. You know, but really, as far as the layout goes, as far as getting this, if I got this just like it is, it's like no, it's perfect. It's just it's a wonderful zine. It maintains its charm, and I think what you did or whoever you laying this out did is demonstrated you don't have to go all crazy with layout you can present a clean design with a simple layout that works perfect yeah this was the i've done layout or this was the third thing i've done layout on and the first two things were entirely in word it was for the gong farmers altanac and then Quarantine two and then this and with this uh, I was like okay I got a affinity's twenty five bucks right now uh, <laughs> I can I can sure do that I just need to be more so willing to learn a new type of software um but yeah layout it's I mean if you want to be really good and and do some I think the best some of the best layout these days is coming from like people in the mothership you know corner of the the industry right there's some really interesting stuff coming from that um but you can do layout just as good as like any old tsr module really just using word and not knowing anything except what you've taught yourself um if you want to actually take something to print you need to get affinity because word cannot do the specific versions of it needs to be pdf x you know 1a or, or whatever it can't do that but uh yeah for making zines does not have to be that complicated yeah and i think you know what um because i remember on twitter yeah uh, where somebody was lamenting about zine quest and you know how theirs was you know like I think the idea is things were going too professional. Well, I mean, not professional, but it just was just kind of it, lamenting. And then, and it's like, and like, how could they compete? But you competed. You did very well. Yeah. Three thousand uh, dollars. In in, I know you did Affinity, but initially started on Word. It's it it works. It, you can do that. You can have good ideas. You can present them cleanly. And honestly, there is a zine that I bought, I won't mention the name, that I was looking forward to. And when I got it, it was artistically beautiful. Um, but the background is kind of a darkish brown with white letters, and it's like hard to read. And I'm like, I didn't, I don't buy, I don't mind a little bit occasionally where it's hard to read, but when the layout makes it almost unusable or a struggle, I, you've to me it's failed at that point yeah it's uh i have one old uh 
book where I, th- it was, I bought it probably like a decade ago where it, it has kind of like a, a silver print symbol on white paper. And, but then they didn't use black text. They use kind of like a dark gray. So it's dark gray on top of a silver symbol. And it's just like, <laughs> this is an interesting book. I kind of like your weird system, but I can't read it. No. No. Yeah. When, when you try to get fancy with layout, um, you can make some really great stuff, but you can also just spend a lot of time and effort really messing up your product. Um, yeah. And I found that with even another product as well that I was really disappointed in. Um, but you know, they, and I understand them making the choice they do, but as uh, with an old man with old man eyes, I, 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 it's like yeah. my dice. I don't, you know, the kids, the kids come to my table with these dice. I can hardly read. I want high contrast, high visibility. I, you know, yeah, you may have fancy metal dice that look cute, but if I'm staring at these weird, like artistic things that go on, it's like, how can you discern the number in all this? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want your, your white dice with your gold, you yes. know, numbered. <laughs> That's too close. High contrast. I'm, I'm becoming that old man more and more every day and I'm needing that more. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, and I, I think, you know, there's a certain thing, you know, going back to like the 3.5 and such in youth. I mean, you know, as I mentioned many times in my podcast, I had my own versions of 3.5 that I ran, which would be like the, the moral project or whatever, you know, and there's a certain amount of, you know, or even there's a certain amount of joy in certain things when we were younger. And I, you know, it's kind of sad that that gets lost (laughs) as we get older, (laughs) you know, where, you know, in the old days, you could spend a whole afternoon doing a single combat and you're like, Oh, this was the best time I've ever had. (laughs) Yeah. I remember having uh, some fun in fourth edition with some four hour long single combat stuff, but uh, not that much, (laughs) not that much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just, I just, I mean, kudos to that whole thing. And I think it also works. I, I, the other thing is, okay, even with my zine, it's like I, I, I use a black, uh, well, very dark cover. It's very ink intensive. Not as much, but your zine is actually perfect for printing out on at home. Yeah. You, there's no like soft black pages like I use uh, even though I try to keep it to a minimum but it's it's like yours really is a very functional print at home zine um you know and that's what's what I think is very 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 wonderful about it and even the the art is is not it has blacks in it but it uses a lot of, of grays as well so it's not um super ink heavy no yeah it's uh it was not like a conscious goal to do that but it uh it came out really well like that and i was i was happy because i was, i do feel like um thinking back to that that quitter just twitter discussion i think i remember seeing that too i don't remember who started i get the production level arguments but it's uh, i don't agree with it um but yeah i think scenes should be something that you can you can make super high quality, crazy layout. I think scene should also be something that you can make with, you know, just some paper that you're folding in half at home and a Sharpie, and then you photocopy it down it. I don't even know if Kinko's is a thing anymore, but whatever, uh, <laughs> wherever you would go for that. Uh, 
I, I, zines can be a lot of different things. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, I was not trying to reinvent the wheel and, uh, I'm, I was happy when it, when it came out as something that's, is very friendly to a home printer also. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, again, it's like, you can, you can look at a lot of these other, other books, but you know, and they are beautiful, but you know, you're, you're, if you didn't order the physical copy, you're probably never going to print them out. Yeah. And it just, it just isn't going to happen. Or if you do, it's just, it's not going to, it's going to be very disappointing. Yeah, you can get a very washed out thing and you're going to go through two you know, black ink cartridges to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that is a thing. So the, uh, so for the whole zine uh, quest experience, how was that for you? Um, it was really cool. Um, I used uh, makerpgs.com to kind of handle the, the print and shipping. Um, a lot of people go with Mixam, but uh, I was, uh, me and my partner, Bozanal, uh, we were both willing to not have to deal with the headache of shipping and pay someone else to do that. Because we were also thinking this is our, our first time doing this. We don't, we don't want to accidentally overwhelm ourselves with that. Um, so once we got things created, it was pretty easy. It was, you know, wait for printer proofs. Um, doing the actual campaign was you know, a lot of me trying to do daily Twitter posts for, you know, my like 200 followers. <laughs> so I right. didn't have that much to of my a vast domain of, uh, of uh, followers. Yes. Yes. Um, but it, it went well enough. Um, I listened to a lot of, uh, I don't have you ever, uh, seen RPG panel, RPG design panel casts. Yes. It's one I normally regularly listen to, but I've not been enjoying them for the last yeah. year for whatever reason yeah i i only listen when i'm like when there's a relevant subject i want to listen about but they had a lot of ones about running kickstarters and i listened oh, yes. to basically like all of those <laughs> in the weeks leading up to it so i was like okay i feel educated i feel like i at least think i know what i'm doing um it's like having a ship out on the middle of lake michigan and you're reading Sailing for Dummies and trying to figure out as a storm's coming. You're like, I got this. I got this. I got yes. this. Port <laughs> starboard. I got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it wasn't so bad. I'm actually, uh, I'm working on another project. Probably going to do a Kickstarter at some point in the next couple of months for it. It'd be um, a couple of adventures in one thing. Uh, full paper size not seen for uh for weird frontiers which is basically the same dcc mcc system but it's weird western stuff yeah i think you know now you're getting even more niche but i think there's definitely an appetite for the weird west stuff and i think it's probably one of the most maybe underserved you know yeah. segments at the of the you know of the of, of our the of our, genre market yeah I think it's just, it's just, uh, I, I think, you know, Deadlines was huge. That yeah. died out. And then well, there's the, been a, Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was going to say, the, they, they had to rename because, um, well, for various reasons that I don't care enough to get into, but they, they were dark trails at first, and they did a Kickstarter, and uh, there's definitely an appetite for it because that Kickstarter did gangbusters. Yes. 
Yes, yeah, so I, I think you're definitely on there. And I think even, you know, going, even if you just did it straight, Weird West, I mean, that still could fall into your Mutant Crawl Classics. It's just as definitely yeah. is a... Another planar mishap? Yeah, planar mishap. Just throw in Trader Joe and... Uh, or uh, <laughs> Camel yeah. Joe and uh, you're, 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 everybody's happy. So uh, it's just... Uh, no, that's a, that's a great idea. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming... So is there going to be mechanics involved with this, or is it strictly going to be like setting adventure material? Uh, that is like a two fully written up adventures. I basically I had two adventures I was working on. They each came out to around 5,000 words for page count. So I was like, okay. We can stick them both in like a you know, normal size adventure module, and, uh, and that equals out to about 24-ish pages. Oh, so you're doing so. eight and a half by 11. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. fun. So what made you decide to go that format rather than sticking with the, the zine? Uh, just, well, you're, you're able to do a little bit more with, uh, with what art you, you do oh, want to yeah. put in there. Oh, and yeah. also uh, when you have maps that uh, need to have some detail, it just works a lot better. Um, we can have an actual full page map. <laughs> Yeah, I hear, I hear you for that. So so you're going to kickstart this, right? Is what you said. Uh, in the next couple months is is the plan. It's it's I'm waiting on like a the weird frontiers version of the OGL. Make make sure I get the right you know copyright info and all that that I can throw in the back and one more piece of art and then it's pretty much done. So yeah, that's you know. <clears throat> So I plan on doing a Kickstarter here after Labor Day. By the time I finally got it approved, so we, so I was going to run two Kickstarters during Zine Quest. Uh, they wagged their finger, said no, you can only do one. And so then I got everything all ready, and then I was ready to. I got the proofs done. Everything's ready to go. And then I and it said just click here, here reply to this message, and we'll reevaluate it, and you can run this Kickstarter. Well, I did that. It took them like two weeks to get back with me. Now I'm. I'm dealing with Labor Day, and it's like I do not want a Kickstarter straddling Labor Day. And so now, after Labor Day, we'll be doing that. So it's it's so this is kind of like you. It's like it's gonna be interesting. You know, Zine Quest itself generates a lot of traffic just because of its very nature. Yeah, you know, the, and so there's just so much chum in there. You know, sharks from all over the ocean are coming there. But it'll be interesting to see how we do. You know, in without that to to prop up the you know to prop us up so i'm kind of interested to see uh joel hines is uh, who did the desert moon of karth uh he's putting out a kickstarter right now i i saw him uh talking about it on a on a discord that i'm on uh just yesterday actually and i was like i i backed desert moons of karth because it looked great so i'm looking forward to the next one i would say that his of in fact his, his the this interview drops today of his oh. um I would say of all the ZineQuest stuff I've gotten, I think his definitely lived up to the full promise and, and more. It really is. He really knocked out of the park. Yeah. You know, Desert Moon. It's it's because it's, it's, it's both graphically, it looks beautiful, but there is no hindrance as far as the design choices that were made in the layout. Yeah. He did a, a really excellent job. I got that. And, the drain and oh, I think another mothership thing, but I can't remember right now. But 
uh, yeah, Desert Moon, it, it really, when, when I got in the mail, it was like, yeah, this is good. Yeah, he did it. He did a good job with, and I think the idea too is it. It's, uh, yeah, it's just a very fun, fun, fun setting, um, and um, and I've not played Mothership, and that's definitely something I'm going to. So I was looking at his rules. Since he uses it for Mothership, mm-hmm. and um, I thought, well, what system would I use? I'm thinking, well, I just use Mothership, I guess. Yeah. It's I've only honestly played Mothership a couple of times, but uh, if you're familiar with how you know the mechanics of Call of Cthulhu work, it's pretty similar. There was a, a scenario where they ha- a, a setting ended up buying because I wanted the random spaceship generator uh, st- uh, layout, and um, but it's, I think there's a moon, and that these ships kind of show up there, and it's like a ship graveyard, and then there's these like harpoons that get launched to pull these ships into the planet and anyway you can explore all these different ships in this graveyard and finally they get pulled into the planet and have to deal with that but it's like that is so fun i mean whatever they're coming up with with mothership is you know it's kind of it's a little bit gonzo but it's not gonzo gonzo it's like they kind of found a horror slash it's not alien like you know like the alien Uh rpg but they kind of found a really interesting spot that i think that has not really been explored before yeah a very specific subgenre to, to tell their stories in yeah it is very excellent uh so so how do you pronounce the artist is is boson how do you pronounce his last name ow ow it's boson ow so how did you meet up with boson oh um, through the discord you guys mm-hmm. met up that way yeah yeah just through uh Working on on corn. I think we were both on uh, a like DCC centric Discord, and uh, someone at at the beginning of the pandemic was like, "Hey, what do folks think about making a zine and like you know whatever money gets made off of it? You know, we we give to a COVID relief charity, and uh, and there's like you know five or six of us that said, yeah, that sounds good. I'll donate whatever skills I have." Um, and he was an artist who was doing that. I, for the first one of those, I just wrote a spell. Uh, I was busy with life at the time, but then the second one, I wrote an adventure and did the layout and edited the three other adventures that I didn't write in there. And, uh, and Bozen did a lot of, he did the cover for that and art for his own adventure. So, yeah, just, just happenstance as in basically. So where's Bozen, where's Bozen live? Uh, Baltimore. He's okay. up in Baltimore. It's 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 very interesting how, you know, with the internet and the capability of like the world being so flat now and the access to so many people, how you know I wasn't sure because yeah. you know I've I'm kind of done some stuff with with a, one guy who's in who's in who's in um Taiwan, but I'm also kind of working with some stuff with the guy who's, you know, in in England, but it's just like Anybody you work with that you randomly meet on the internet could actually be literally from you know anywhere in the in the world. Oh yeah, I fairly regularly play with a, a guy who uh, he's it's morning, uh, it's night when I play, and it's morning when he plays because he's over in Kazakhstan. <laughs> so wow. <laughs> so yeah, it, I mean anywhere. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I think, you know, especially now with like the uh, RPG zine community on on uh, Facebook, or, um, you know, there's just so many opportunities now, you know, to find people to collaborate with. It's just uh, it's it's really kind of changed the the the, the whole, uh, you know, the way the things operate. I mean, before, you know, networking was so much more difficult. But now it's just like, yeah, yeah it's easier. I it was. I started trying to play online games as like a attempting to do it as weekly because uh, right before the like September of 2019. So like right before every all games went online um, for a good while. And it was so hard to get people back then. And I was doing it because I was like, I want to play more DCC. And I, my home group, they just want to do 5e. And so I was struggling with finding people who would do that online. And then it became real easy all of a sudden find people want to do online games and chat about them online. There's just a huge influx over the, I mean, if I got to have a silver lining to a really awful cloud. Yes. Um, yeah. It's kind of interesting because I was listening to an interview with a fellow that has, um, a, uh, he's one of the, I think owners of world 20. I think was it Italy is the first one that that shut down their country due to COVID. I they were I don't know if they were the first. I remember they were among the first. Yeah, is I think it was Italy or one of the countries. They noticed that their server activity like went bananas. <laughs> I believe it. And they're like, "Oh, there's a tidal wave coming. <laughs> we Better have prepare. to prepare." Yes, and so that's what they did. They they had a little bit of advanced warning. Because they they could do that they could see they could see where this is all headed and uh, it really changed and I you know and honestly I don't I prefer I prefer face to face but even my group yeah. it's been so hard it's just been so hard uh, with just with life even not so much even with COVID now I'm think I'm I think for once we finish the face to face full of Delta Green um, game we're going to um, or not fall Delta Delta Green. I think when I run my next game, I think I'm just going to go online just to ensure I get enough people that's able to make it. Yeah. So I, I understand. I mean, I'm a pretty new dad. So uh, just saving the, t- the driving time to go meet up with my friends counts for a lot. Um, not to mention just, you know, safety precautions these days. But uh, yeah, I, I absolutely get that. It'll, Soon enough, I could probably be doing face to face, but I I'm in Texas where everything's pretty spread out. It would it takes like 45 minutes just to get to where I would game with my friends, you know, hang out at someone oh, else's apartment because right. I'm kind of on the yeah. outskirts in relation to where they live. So it's a you know yeah make that a round trip of course and. Suddenly, that's more time that uh, I'm, you know, I'm away from my little kid, and my wife is going. I need a break. Where are you? Right, right. <laughs> you know, and that is fair. And I think you're right. And I think the idea is, you know, dealing with a baby. You know, even with uh, with online games is much easier. You know, especially if you're playing too, not not running a game. But yeah, uh, yeah I think. Unfortunately, the circumstances that, you know, that's probably what's going to happen for my next game. But, um, but 
at least there's the tools out there and you know to make that happen but uh yeah it's pretty crazy so so your so your group was pretty much tied into 5e and nothing else uh yeah they were at the time um then uh i ran them through a a level one to 20 campaign in 5e i used a lot of the the classic modules today stuff from dm's guild which is basically a like here's some crib notes for converting old you know not 5e adventures into 5e and i ran them through village homlet temple of elemental evil we did like uh lost caverns of such yeah. and uh you know the giants tomb of horrors uh a very a not quite uh as written gdq well I mostly cut out the q and remixed the, the d a lot <laughs> and then after that i basically had to figure out what the heck i was doing on my own but tried to run us through a lot of the like classic adventures that we were we we're all on the younger side i guess uh we, we were we came to D after tsr had died so we'd never touched any of those really so it was well, really fun to actually get through them yeah so so for me you know i that's what we started well yeah i started with but looking back when i look at these i'm like these aren't very good <laughs> <laughs> some of them i had to do a little work on yeah I, I, well it's like you know village of hamlet's not bad but it's it's kind of it's just kind of i mean the moat houses where you know where stuff is moat house is great but yeah there's a lot of village <laughs> like i'm not sure it's barely like, touched yeah and most people tend to just i think just figure oh i guess i'm supposed to rob the people is where but <laughs> but um you know i think that some of the giants was probably more straightforward but like the drow or drow uh, uh there's not i mean it's just it's just a lot of barren area that's not giving the gms much help with really how yeah. to run i mean there's so much in those uh, adventures i mean you know like the lost uh, caverns i think was you know more for like a tournament play at a convention where it's kind of you know you're right to the action but like i would be hesitant i mean i would be hesitant to ever do that but you went in i mean you're like let's do it and and apparently everybody enjoyed it so what did you do um to make these adventures fun um i so starting out with village of hamlet i basically as soon as they got into town i was like hey you can have whatever backstory you have, but you're coming here because you want gold and glory, and there's just too many dang adventurers in the city. So you're coming out to the countryside to see what better opportunities there are. I immediately had someone from like the, the town watch say, like, oh, hey, you guys are well armed. You guys have, you know, five more swords than the average, you know, group of people. Yeah. You look like you're you're ready to go uh there's this moat house bandits we haven't taken care of it yet why don't you go over there um so just immediately sent them that away uh when they got into the temple i had them basically have like an npc it was like the brother of the first guy they met um they act, they're all actually named in the thing i just it's been a few years so i can't remember their names and but so you know basically a a hireling is what he served as like oh you got all this stuff oh you need more you know arrows or whatever 
I'll go to town and I'll keep a watch out at the tower so that, you know, no one sneaks up. And they basically found one room of the dungeon, which had like a, a lever and a gate, you know, iron bars. And they just started calling it dungeon home. And they just lived in that. They like had the guy go, you know, get some stuff so they could furnish it basically a little bit. And I, but I also occasionally had there be like interesting stuff outside of the temple of elemental for them to do. I had one of the, um, the like main cultists, the one who actually has the, the golden skull, um, had him be an alcoholic. So they didn't kill him in the dungeon. They like found out he was gone from one of the other, you know, factions. And they're like, he sneaks off to the, to Nulb all the time and gets drunk at the bar. Um, cause it's a lot of dungeon and people get bored of that. You yeah. got to mix things up. And so I would try to get them out for short time periods, but with those mega dungeons, factions are, are key. Um, cause there's the four different elements in there. You have them bug each other. Um, you know, if your players take down all the water cultists, you know, the air cultists are going to move in and go, oh, you guys left some stuff behind. This is great. Hey, no, these water cultists aren't bugging us anymore. We're going to make an alliance with the fire cultists. We're on iffy grounds earlier, but um, just having things react to them and making it come alive in that way and also having it come alive in just the, uh, if there's guards in room A and room B and room C and it gets really loud with the fight in room A, B will notice and then C will notice and just have things snowball and react um, so that it doesn't just feel like static room, then static room and another static room. Right. Well, they just kick open the door in every, in every room, not thinking there's going to be repercussions to just yeah. kicking open the door. <laughs> yeah. Um, and after that, um, occasionally I would break it up the, uh, the like adventure to adventure to adventure thing with uh i had like the king reward them with like hey there was a a dirty knight he uh who was in with the cult you killed him killed the cult go watch over the village he had go have his keep so that you have like your own keep you're all high level now and if it were the olden days the fighter would probably be at that level where he's just supposed to get a keep at this point so gave them like something to care about there too I tried to make the further adventures be like, oh, there's giants up in the mountain. That's the first part of the GDQ. Hey, there's um, some stuff near the border. No shipments are coming in. And that was where, you know, Sodge camps came through, um, which I think everyone else always remembers the dungeon part of that. But I, the wilderness part that is like the first half of the printed module is, is a really excellent wilderness stuff. I felt like, I hadn't done that much at that point when I ran it and I learned a lot from it. I'll have to crack that open and look at that. It's, it's, I think on a PDF somewhere, I just need to uh, maybe review that first half and see that wilderness stuff is, I think sometimes, you know, it can, can be kind of more difficult than say just this yeah. typical dungeon stuff. So it's, Plus. it's essentially a, a hex area, but it says whenever you get to these hexes, you know, this is the main road. And if you follow the main road, Whenever we put like a little bullet mark in here, roll a D20 and look at this list of 20 different things they might encounter. But it's, you know, don't just make, if they roll the thing that says, gob, you know, a pack of, you know, 2D hundred goblins, 
don't just have 2d hundred goblins to send on them have them like see just tons of goblins up in the hills carrying off sheep that they stole from the halfling or the gnome community that lives nearby so it's uh, just doing that with random encounters don't don't just throw the monster if they roll a monster at them have them find signs of the monster first yeah it's reading kobold's guide to monsters and that was one thing that was was recommended you know so it's like you know if it's a owl bear maybe there's scratchings on the tree or if yeah. there's you know or you find uh you know like feces on the ground it's like you know if you've got a ranger like okay we got a very large mammal here or whatever or, it may be you know even like with you know entrances to a, a, a place to give some sort of clue uh to the character some sort of signaling the um, they rolled the the blue dragon on there pretty early on and i just i just had like the shadow of the dragon pass over them and they they all were like oh no and they they ran and hid yeah you know there's uh i think it's in i don't know if it's adventure conquer king um so uh which I think pulls a lot from the BX. So there is, so you'd have your encounter. Then there would be the, um, the reaction table that you'd roll for the encounter. And then there would be a distance uh, that you would roll. Uh-huh. And so depending where you're at, you know, if you're in the woods, opposed to a desert, opposed to some, a city, you're in some six mile hex, you know, yeah, so I mean, because so you know, in the desert, you probably see somebody further off, and it, the chances could be greater than if it is, like, say, in a cave, where you probably, if you met somebody, it'd be much closer. But anyway, which is kind of interesting, is that you have all these random things that could, like, what you've done is, you know, reaction tables may be neutral. The uh, the distance is, you know, you know, like five hundred feet, and uh, and therefore the dragon passes by. Um, so, but, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying. It's just like, I think the tendency is random table, every roll initiative, initiative table, yeah. it rolls up, roll initiative. It's like, well, wait a minute. It's the wrong way <laughs> to do it. It feels like, ah, oh, yes, this is the game we are playing. And well, it, 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 ruins it was, the... it was in 1983. That was the game we're playing. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's how your characters advanced. <laughs> Monsters only existed for experience points. <laughs> Like, oh, okay, a dragon uh, flies overhead. Who cares? There's no XP involved in that. <laughs> uh, I over the past couple of days, I've I forget it. I've seen someone on Twitter posting like, why in old, why in you know first edition does does your average lion have two scrolls? <laughs> and it's because you need loot to level. Yeah, that's the other thing. You're right. The the the, the money and you know getting the items was was key. But, you know, in our, in my youth, I mean, what we would do is we would just, you'd roll a random encounter, you would have the fight, and then you would then roll for the loot, see, hey, what'd you get? Yeah. But then there'd be occasional times you're like, you'd roll up the loot and you're like, well, shoot, you know, they had a plus one sword. Why didn't I have the, you know, I, I should have known that. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a little I, incongruity if you don't actually just do it all at one time. Uh, one of the early times, I don't remember what it, well, uh, it did exactly, but I remember that same kind of situation, but it was the random root loot thing was, uh, they have a chaos diamond. And I was like, what is a chaos diamond? Oh, this is like, this is cause the DM rolled like a 99 on the percentile table. For, this was a 3.5 thing. And it was like, 
it was this ultra powerful thing that was just super evil. I was like, why weren't they using that? Why did they have that? This derails whatever, you know, pitiful plot my game had going on at the time. But, yeah. And he told us that and, and we were looked up what it was. And it was like, Hey, I'm going to reroll. You guys don't have that. That doesn't exist. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. It, okay. You know, but, but on the other hand, I mean, of course, it's going to ruin whatever you got. But, but yeah. all of a sudden, like, well, why not? You know, it's like, and I think also the idea that you rolled a, a, a blue dragon, you knew that your party couldn't handle it at the time. Right. As far as it, they might have been able to. They had a lot of loot from the Temple of Elemental. Okay. A lot of good. It, that's another thing. You have to occasionally, uh, it's very, very okay if they don't find everything because there's there's so many good magic items yeah but let's just say they they couldn't you could still put something in there that is a threat that they could choose to go after they mm -hmm. want to but they don't have to but you could signal that there is something mm -hmm. that they out there that is very dangerous that that they might want to be a little careful when they go to certain areas well and a, another easy thing that i could have i didn't certainly didn't think of it at the time but i could have done is just have the dragon not beat its max hit points. Have it have all of its abilities, except it's gotten down to like half his HP because the black dragon that actually lives in the caverns of Sajkanth has messed it up. So, and you can foreshadow that with some signs of, you know, the black dragon's abilities. And then your, your players are going, oh man, we killed the blue dragon, but, but what jacked it up so much that we were able to actually do that? Yeah, we, I think, you know, the idea of rolling hit points and coming with a narrative is, is fun. I, we, when we play back in the day, we tried to um, simplify things. And I think because we felt disappointed as GMs that you'd roll up a, a dragon and you come up with so few hit points <laughs> that we just made a rule that every character and every creature had maximum hit points. <laughs> That'll make for some long combats. Well, I think what, it, you know, looking back, it's like, uh, if you look at the more hit dice you roll, the more you're going to skew towards an average. And I think in many ways, it, it, I think we did see a problem in that you could just, even though you may have a 10 hit die dragon, it's probably not going to be anywhere close to what it could be. But I think with three point was it three point I don't know, but one of the, the systems they would just say you this this creature has thirty five hit points plus four four d eight, you know, where they yeah would allow. I, they three point five definitely did that. I don't I don't know if it was the first, but it yeah, and that's, I thought was was actually a better way of doing it, where you still had some variation, but you also just don't have you just nerf the big bad guy, you know, that you're yeah. planning. Well, and and it makes sense too. It's like hey, this thing. He may not be listing its constitution, you know, stat, but it has one and, uh, and it's getting, you know, bonus HP from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just even narrative, but I think, but even going back to like you were saying, you know, but if you roll, but if you do roll, like just roll the whole thing. So, you know what, this is what it is, right. That you could say the dragon has low hit points and you could say, well, it's just, it's a baby dragon or, but, yeah. but or like you said, it was damaged in a fight. And and it looks like it was maybe on the losing end, not the winning end of a fight. And then you could signal about, you know, to the characters, which I think that adds, 
I, I think that little bit kind of adds a fun narrative thing in the minds of the characters to get them thinking about the world, even if they never engage exactly directly with whatever it is, at least mentally, you are creating a, a very fun narrative that, that they can play around with in their minds. Yeah, you're, you're giving them material that allows them to, to think about like, oh, this isn't just a static world. The dragon didn't start existing the moment we stepped into this region. Dragon existed, and it's got a not-so-good relationship with something else here. Yeah, because I remember in the Shed Aquarium, there was a uh, there was a there was a fish. I don't know what kind of fish it was a fish that would eat crabs, and then there was a crab, and the fish would continually circle the crab, and it had scars all over its belly. <laughs> that's that's just a, a great bit of extra detail that that can add a, a lot to your game. Yeah. Yeah, so that made me think of that. It's like, okay, there's something else out there. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> there's a mortal enemy or something. So do you normally run long campaigns or do you normally run? It sounds like you normally run longer campaigns rather than short adventures. Um, I, uh, honestly, I, I do both. Um, with my game group that has, you know, except for like, you know, one person coming in and out. I've been gaming with the same guys since I started gaming like 15 years ago. Um, but I also, I do a fair amount of one shots online. I, I do a lot of online conventions now. Um, so a pretty even mix. Uh, though the, the one shots are less common these days uh, as I just have other things going on in my life. Yeah, you're hitting a point right where your time is definitely uh, more constrained and and probably variable mm. when you do have those openings. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's it's definitely makes it harder. Do you uh, do you go to uh, the pre-COVID and maybe eventually the quote-unquote post-COVID? <laughs> you go to conventions. I would I would go to North Texas RPG Con, um, which is a great con with OSR people. You know, last time I was there, I was sitting down at a table and uh, Zeb Cook uh, happened to sit down and start talking about Godzilla with someone else. And I was like, oh yeah, I've seen the new one. Yeah, oh, you haven't seen, it's good. Um, so that, you know, you, you get a lot of the, like the actual, the, the old guard from uh, stuff like that. And I will plan, I plan, but you know, uh, who knows what the control to go to, uh, to, you know, mask up the whole time and go to uh, the Lone Star Game Expo, which is in October. Um, and that one's also, that's, I've had a bunch of fun there before. Uh, a lot of D&D there, but I, I'll bring the, the DCC and the MCC and someone else is always bringing a Call of Cthulhu. Last time in 2019, they had a, um, a creator of Traveler, uh, Mark Miller's, I believe his name. He was there running games, giving out his little zine that he has because he's still loving his his traveler. Yeah, it's definitely uh, taken on many iterations, many forms over the years, and uh, I still think I don't. We don't. I don't play it. I think when the next game we're going to run is uh, I'm going to run is Coriolis. Uh, remember with Coriolis? Uh, vaguely, um, I've never played a, a Coriolis system game. 
I have yeah, flipped yeah. through a rule book, but it's been a few years. So I don't really remember much. Yeah. The system's basically pretty simple. It's like, it's, it's a dice pool. So it's stat plus, uh, so it's stat plus skill. I think plus, it's what, um, the firefly game was based off of. No, no? firefly was okay. cortex. Oh, okay. Well, so, getting those mixed up. Yeah. It, so what you do, then you only count sixes as success. And then you can re-roll, but by re-rolling the way most of the free league stuff for Forbidden Lands, uh, Mutant Year Zero, but when you re-roll, you get an opportunity to re-roll anything that's not a one or a six. And when you do the re-roll, uh, by that nature of doing a re-roll, you set up a complication of some sort or a potential complication okay. of some sort. And so there's kind of that whole... So push your you, luck kind of mechanic. Well, it is definitely push your luck. So in, in Coriolis, anytime you do that, you are basically, uh, you are praying to one of the icons, which is one of the, it's like a, if you kind of think of maybe Zodiac, maybe kind of combined with the patron, like Catholic patron saints okay. combined with some weirdness. So the idea is you are, you are, uh, tying into something, whether those icons are real or not real, whether they're whatever it may be. And where they're not, they're paying attention to you. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, right, exactly. You can, you can play this uh, however you want, but the idea is they kind of injected a non real world religion in a very, I don't want to say superficial way. It's not superficial, but in a way it's kind of meaningful, but it's also doesn't get weird as well. But anyway, by doing that, you are also creating a complication later on that a GM. Okay. But for Forbidden Lands, which is a D&D style game, when you do a reroll, then the if you roll ones, you have an opportunity to hurt your stats. So your strength goes down, your agility goes down, and then you have to afterwards rest and then consume an item in order to get your stats back up. I get that. DCC and has a spell burn, which is kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh anyway, that's it's it's kind of like Traveler, kind of combined with, I think of like Traveler, Expanse, and um, and then maybe like Dune. It's a very, it has an Arab theme, very, uh, and uh, and it also has a, um, uh, it also kind of also has a a sort of religious theme, but it also can also have a horror theme combined as well. Okay. So it's. Uh, have you seen the Expanse? I, I have not, it's one of those things where I got a I got real hurt by Game of Thrones. So I'm just I know the expanse is at least the show actually gonna be done soon, but I a little while ago, a few years at this point, I was kinda like, I'm just gonna wait until it's all done and I know it'll all be good and oh. then I'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, the shows are the shows I would say the seasons, there's portions that are mixes. I mean yeah. Some things they do real well. Some stuff they don't. Uh, there's some things where kind of like, eh. Some things like the plot kind of gets kind of weird. But but anyway, there is kind of a a I'll call it a weird element. So if it starts out being very, very much a um, asteroid mining, very hard science kind of yeah, feeling. very much like Traveler, and then it introduces yeah. the weird. So um, so anyway, it's, it kind of has that sort of vibe. But um, but no, that's that's something I'm looking forward to at least trying to. Trying to um, get going, but um, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, most my games are short. Uh, I do enjoy the conventions for the one shots. That's why I absolutely love. Yeah. Also, my you know my campaigns that are long going. Uh, a lot of the they're very episodic. 
like I'll have like an overarching thing. I'm never really planning things out more than like a single session in advance. Cause like the most important session is the next one I'm running. So, well, for me, that has become important mainly because uh, I don't know who's going to be there the next session. That, yeah, that changes things a lot too. So if you if it, if it only lasts one or two uh, sessions, then it's it's very complete, and then you don't have to worry. You know, whatever you've set up. Let's say you've set this whole thing up where you're expecting to have X number of people. And you add extra situations, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you stop in the middle of combat. Then all of a sudden, only two people or three people can make it next time. Yeah. But you just set up a combat that's expecting to have you know a lot of people. Then you, it's just it's very difficult. But allowing people to drop in and out, I think, works pretty well. My my games, they have a. We're all pretty consistent about showing up, but sometimes there is like a side adventure. But I, I try to have things at least pretty much complete in a, in a single session because we play bi-weekly and uh and you know maybe it shouldn't be but uh but sometimes just what did we do two weeks ago is oh, a hard question i think that is the right anything beyond this is my from my own personal experience is that two weeks is the every two weeks bi-weekly is the furthest out you can go and be able to kind of continue any sort of feeling of momentum yeah i if if you were if I was going to push it out farther than that, I and be like, okay, we are gonna do a monthly game, but we, it's gonna be like the whole day. Yeah. And so we're gonna get a ton in and so that we can actually do long sessions. But yeah, if you're trying to stick to, you know, that four hour approximate game time, I wouldn't ever go further out than bi-weekly either. Yeah, for me, the problem has been I've so we've have uh, in our group we had Younger people who went to college now that's complicated than yeah. work, and then different you know as adults we all have our own different life issues that come up and it's just like it's getting harder and that's another reason I'm trying to go online. It's like our group you know in the heyday we'd have like eight people eight like seven or eight people players you know but now we kind of vary between only two people and maybe four people showing up so it's just uh. Eight was too much, but I could never turn anybody away. But uh. <laughs> I've I've fallen into that trap a few times myself. Yeah, I I can't say no, and it's and it's worked out. I mean, only because we were playing games where I could, you know, split the party, and it was less of it was it was more narrative driven. Less, you know, it's it's very it's a game system where you could do that, and you could, and they were doing missions simultaneously. So then you could just, no. you know. As a GM, you could say, okay, we're going to have these two things going on and then line it up so that everybody gets like to the action at the same maneuver. time. Yeah, they do the action at the same time. So then you you put them all in the same type of you know resolution at the same time. So then, then you just go around the table and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And then it's they're all doing things at the same time, even though they're in two different groups. So it, that game worked well. But if you're playing D&D, with a map and lost caverns of soge camp that it may get a little more difficult and more deadly <laughs> yeah so that's uh yeah so that's where i'm at i think as well it's just that it's just you're right the same thing is people lose track of the storyline it's just hard but uh yeah it's it's definitely you know the covid has <clears throat> definitely changed things 
and bets allow things to open up, but also made things more difficult. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's definitely odd and trying to traverse through this whole thing is, has been different. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, at least I'm, you don't have to print out all your handouts anymore. You can just take a little screenshot, share them. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that's a lot gonna, on my printer. Yeah. I think that's what I'm going to have to do too is, is, you know, it, getting used to rolling, doing roll 20 again. That's the other thing. It's like, once you get things going, it, it works pretty well. But, uh, but until that point, it's, uh, yeah, I sure did miss the face to face, but it's just, it's just the times, I guess. So, yeah. Well, I think we're hitting the the time space continuum. So All I right. really do appreciate you joining me uh, this early morning on a Saturday. Yeah. Hey, I had a fun time. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Talking so about we'll, games helps keep me sane while I'm not playing them. You know, I think about that. Uh, I think that role-playing games over the last any couple of years, I realized just kind of what an important place they have in our lives and that uh, it allows us to work in, it allows us to, to do th- social things with people in a very concise and fun way that I think we all need. Yes. I definitely <laughs> agree with that. hundred percent. And uh, I think uh, definitely once, uh, once you get closer and ready to talk about the your uh, your uh, your quote unquote weird west adventures. Uh, we need to uh, need to come back on and we'll we'll discuss that in further detail. Yeah, sounds fun. I I'd, I'd love to. 